0: This episode is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash best for your free audiobook download. Now welcome to a supreme-sized edition of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from NPR's It's All Politics, the Tom Hartman program, On the Media, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, The Progressive, The Young Turks, The Rachel Maddow Show, and Countdown with a bonus clip for our iPhone app users from The Daily Show.
1: Start with Citizens United because that's the the most recent. Just just moments ago.
2: Beep, 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 beep,
1: beep, beep,
2: it's just in the Supreme Court has blown up American politics as we know it. <laughs> wow! Remember the coffee you had last week? <laughs> I'm still having <happy. laughs> it. First of all, what is the Citizens United versus F.E.C. case, Ken? What are the facts?
1: Citizens United is a conservative organization that put together an
2: anti-Hillary Clinton
1: documentary during 2008. Hillary the movie. And they wanted to run it during the presidential campaign. Ah, but late in the campaign before a particular primary, within 30 days. Right, and and not only that, with corporate money, and of course the Federal Election Commission, the F.E.C., said they could not do that. It would be a violation of campaign finance laws, so the Supreme Court took it up, and they were expected to have a decision last year. Year Last did not. year,
2: that's right. Of course, a district court had originally said the FEC was right about this because they were applying the McCain-Feingold Act of 2002, signed into law by President Bush, passed by a bipartisan Congress. But when the Supreme Court took it up, the questions being asked by the justices, especially the new Chief Justice, John Roberts, made it clear they were not happy with the McCain-Feingold law or with the previous Supreme Court rulings on the McCain-Feingold law, and they were ready to get pretty rough in overturning it. And with this week's decision, a 5-4 decision, all the unlimited spending that we saw certainly a lot of before the Watergate excesses could be back in politics in time for 2010. Well, and even after Watergate, of course, we got the 527s, the soft money phenomenon, the ways that labor unions and corporations could get their money back into politics, even if they weren't giving directly to candidates and even if they weren't giving the kind of contributions they were prior to Watergate. That made it possible for them to really influence politics again and have a lot of... Money involved. Consider this hypothetical. What if Goldman Sachs, which has just given $16 billion in bonuses, what if they were to take some portion of that $16 billion and spend it on politics in a year, 2010, in which a major issue before Congress is going to be a tax on bonuses by investment banks like Goldman Sachs? I mean, what happens then if they want to spend? well, I don't know, maybe one out of those $16 billion on candidates who are willing to say they wouldn't support that tax? Of course, both sides have the opportunity to do that. Now, labor
1: unions could do any kind of uh, lobbying they want and spending on candidates who are in favor of card check, things like that. What's amazing about this is that if you think of all the money that was spent in the more recent campaigns, 2008, Barack Obama spent more than any other presidential candidate in history, I guess. That's right. Um, a,
2: a lot of it, of course, raised in relatively small, small amounts. Right, was, they the were small Internet. donors,
1: but that may very well pale to what's going to come out in 2010, and there's so much at stake, the Republicans need 10 seats to recapture control of the Senate, 40 seats to recapture control of the House, and yet with so much money now available, and as we saw in Massachusetts, anything is possible, suddenly a lot of races that were not on our radar screen may very well be competitive.
3: The Supreme Court decision that came down about an hour ago, hour and a half ago, two hours ago, uh, in the case of Citizens United versus the Federal Election Commission, this the this is absolutely mind-boggling today five conservative activist judges on the United States Supreme Court in an act that the four dissenters called the height of recklessness that's an actual quote from the dissent said that That corporations stand on the same ground as human beings with regard to the First Amendment, with regard to constitutional rights. I mean, this is absolutely boggling, mind-boggling. This Justice uh, Justice Thomas. I'm I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going along here. This is Roberts concurring okay Chief Justice Roberts says the government now in this case the government urges us in this case to uphold a direct prohibition on political speech that's true and it says and he says First Amendment rights should be con- could be confined to individuals thus he says subverting the vibrant public discourse that is the foundation of our democracy say what If only individuals have the right of free speech in the United States, it subverts the vibrant public discourse that's the foundation of our democracy. He says the First Amendment protects more than just the individual on a soapbox in the lonely pamphleteer. Right. It also protects the transnational corporation. Now, in their dissent, Sotomayor and Stevens and Breyer and Ginsburg said the fact that corporations are different from human beings might seem to need no elaboration except that the majority opinion opinion almost completely elides it. Unlike natural persons, unlike human beings, I'm quoting from the dissent in the decision today, corporations have limited liability, perpetual life, and favorable treatment of the accumulation and distribution of their assets that enhances their ability to attract capital to deploy their resources. Unlike voters in U.S. elections, corporations may be foreign-controlled. Unlike other in, uh, interest groups, business corporations have been effectively delegated responsibility for ensuring society's economic welfare. And, and they, because of this, they inescapably structure the life of every citizen. I mean, this is, they're, just, they're just nailing this stuff. And there's, they, they get into Tokyo Rose in here. This, this is absolutely, I've got a whole bunch of other news that I want to share with you. But uh, this, this part from the dissent is just incredible. And I'm, first of all, they, they talk about how the framers, the framers took it as a given that corporations could be comprehensively regulated in the service of public welfare. Unlike our colleagues, that's the five activist conservatives, who took away from you and me the exclusive right of free speech and gave it to large transnational foreign Chinese corporations. Unlike our colleagues, they had little trouble distinguishing corporations from human beings. This is the dissent. This is the four who lost, talking about the five on the on the, the, the five right-wing Republican-appointed justices. The the, the Opus Day Coalition. The framers, from the dissent by Stevens, the framers took it as a given that corporations could be comprehensively regulated in the service of public welfare. Unlike our colleagues, they had little trouble distinguishing corporations from human beings. And when they constitutionalized the right to free speech in the First Amendment, it was the free speech of individual Americans that they had in mind, they being the framers. And in fact here, they they say corporations were created, this is at the founding of our country, at the founding of the United States in the beginning in fact it says let us start at the beginning the court invokes ancient First Amendment principles uh, but doesn't, you know, it's, uh, perhaps uh, yet does, it makes only a perfunctory attempt to ground the analysis in the principles or understandings of those who drafted and ratified the First Amendment. Perhaps this is because there is not a scintilla of evidence to support the notion that anyone believed that the first amendment would stop regulatory distinctions based on the corporate form and they and they, they even quote robert bork in the dissent saying the framers and their contemporaries conceived of speech more narrowly than we think of it now but the, this uh this part about tokyo rose is just uh, amazing if i can find where i've marked it uh the, the oh here another little quote uh sound bite the majority seem oblivious right. Here's their biggest concern. This is the concern that was expressed by the dissenters, the four dissenters. They said corporate domination of electioneering can generate the impression that corporations dominate our democracy. Citizens may lose faith in their capacity as citizens to influence public policy. A government captured by corporate interests, citizens may come to believe, will be neither responsive to their needs nor willing to give their views a fair hearing. The predictable result is cynicism and disenfranchisement, an increased perception that large spenders call the tune, and a reduced willingness of voters to take part in democratic governance to the extent that corporations are allowed to exert undue influence in election races the speech of the eventual winners of those races may also be chilled so first they say this is this is the dissent these are the guys who lost who said, no, we shouldn't give corporations absolute rights of free speech. First they say, by giving corporations rights of free speech, you're going to cause average individual citizens to say, screw it, why should I participate? The corporations own the politicians, they're running the show, why should I even bother to vote? In other words, democracy itself is at risk. And that's what these activist conservative judges have done today. They put democracy itself at risk. Then they go on to talk about the impact on politicians. To the extent that corporations are now allowed to exert undue influence in election races, electoral races, the speech of the eventual winners of those races may also be chilled. Politicians who fear that a certain corporation can make or break their re-election chances may be cowed into silence about that corporation unregulated corporate electioneering might diminish the ability of citizens to hold officials accountable to the people and disserve the goal of a public debate that is uninhibited, robust, and wide open. The majority's unwillingness to distinguish between corporations and humans similarly blinds it to the possibility that corporate war chests and their special advantages in, uh, of corporate war chests and their special advantages in the legal realm, and it may translate into special advantages in the market for legislation. Gee, you think? I mean, it, it is, at, this, this, this decision today is absolutely amazing. They point out, unlike voters in U.S. elections, corporations may be foreign-controlled, and it is, it, it, this is just, this is so, I don't know where to go, it, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm lacking superlatives. The Supreme Court has handed the American electoral process to corporations, lock, stock and barrel, five conservatives on the Supreme Court, five Republican-appointed conservatives on the Supreme Court have handed to corporations the right to to money bomb on an unlimited basis any politician this happened two hours ago Benito Mussolini invented a new form of government it was the merger of corporation and state he called it fascism welcome my friends to the fascist state of America.
4: This week, the Supreme Court reached a monumental decision that threatens to transform political campaigns. It started with a little-known film from 2008 called Hillary the Movie. So who is the real Hillary Clinton? The Federal Election Commission ruled the film could not be shown on a pay-per-view cable channel because it was essentially a political ad funded by a corporation, which was regulated under the 2002 McCain-Feingold campaign finance laws. The group that financed the film protested, and last year, Adam Liptak, the New York Times legal correspondent, told us the Supreme Court could have made a pretty straightforward decision in favor of the film's backers such as the movie is not a political ad or pay-per-view is not the same as broadcast TV. Instead, Liptak told us, they called for a rare re
2: On the last day of the term, they come back and say, you know what, we not only want to have the case re but we want the parties to address whether we should rethink this whole area, which is why this quirky little movie, Hillary the movie, seems to be on
4: the verge of giving rise to a real sea change in the way American politics are conducted. Well, on Thursday, the sea changed. It is now the color of money. The 5-4 decision reverses laws dating back to Theodore Roosevelt that limited spending by corporations, labor unions, and other special interests on political campaigns.
5: It's been a hundred years since corporations have been permitted to engage in anything that resembles this.
4: Susan Liss is director of the Democracy Program at the Brennan Center for Justice.
5: Now, they cannot make direct contributions to any particular political candidate's campaign. But what they can do is spend whatever amount to support or oppose a candidate. So we can expect a flood of advertising, probably negative more than positive, on the side of one or another candidate throughout the country throughout every election.
4: So if you like those nasty and usually deceptive political ads that inundate us every election cycle, Congratulations, you're going to see a lot more of them. This is fantastic news for TV stations, which are otherwise losing revenue streams left and right, and it's a victory for First Amendment absolutists, who don't think corporations should be deprived of their free speech rights. But for those who see the political process already corrupted by money and corporate influence— this decision is a historic calamity. The Supreme Court did concede that the ads will have to disclose their corporate funders, and it left open the possibility that new laws could mandate that corporate shareholders sign off on political contributions. The Brennan Center's Susan Liss.
5: In Britain, there is a law that requires disclosure of corporate political expenditures, to shareholders with specific numbers and also requires pre-approval by shareholders before corporations spend their money on elections. And that system seems to have actually limited the amount of money that corporations have contributed in British elections.
4: Campaign finance laws have always pitted the prevention of corruption against the primacy of free speech, and corporate democracy rules might be a neat solution to the dilemma. If not, you're going to be hearing a lot, an unlimited lot, from Exxon.
3: supports
0: this program and it's a great fit because I've used them for years as a member of generation Y and an avid consumer of audio I've all but lost the ability to read so I depend on Audible for nearly all of my pleasure reading via their huge selection of audiobooks periodicals and so much more for listeners of Best of the Left they are offering a free audiobook download of your choice simply visit audiblepodcast.com/best you may have heard similar promotions discussed on other podcasts, so make no mistake, this is a popularity contest. Forsake the other programs you like, and support this tiny, independently produced show by using my special URL, audiblepodcast.com slash best.
6: So, Carl, what strange vision came to you next? It was so weird, Peter. Harry Reid was sweating Gatorade.
3: Mitch McConnell telling me he was less filling and tasted great. And then Barack Obama and Nancy Pelosi appeared
6: sitting next to each other in separate bathtubs. I woke up screaming. Carl might have been dreaming about a Supreme Court decision determining that who could spend whatever they want on campaign ads? Uh, corporations. Exactly right. For years, corporations and unions both were prevented from funding political ads directly, not anymore. In a five to four reversal of previous rulings, the court found that corporations were, legally anyway, people and their free speech cannot be limited. Asked for comment, Exxon Mobil said it was excited, a little overwhelmed, <laughs> and to celebrate was going to go buy itself a little treat, namely the US House of Representatives.
5: <laughs> but you know, I was thinking about this yeah. when I heard about this, and I thought, I thought of, you know, naturally you want to pair up the product with the candidate, yeah, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. who would sponsor like Nancy Pelosi?
1: Um, Botox? Hepsodent
6: <laughs> Nancy Pelosi
7: brought to you by Botox yeah. oh.
6: Well no no we actually thought about this As you say these companies can bring all the expertise They've built up doing actual ads To political ads So imagine like Nike Democrats with the slogan Just talk about it <laughs> Or a new campaign for quote Republicans the other white meat <laughs>
1: You know, I think they ought to just Cut out the, you know, as long as, as long as this decision has been made, it's time to buy any national candidate like one of those NASCAR-style jumpsuits. Really? Yeah. Why settle for one sponsor? It takes, it takes a village of corporations. That's to, true. To
5: right. You're going to need the you patches. you got to wear it. Yeah, right. exactly. Uh, well, or maybe a they'll a just start idea.
6: selling parts of the Congress like they do on, you know, like, Who Wants to Be a Man or all those shows. Like, mm-hmm. use your AT&T, you know, so it'll yeah. be like, I rise and walk up to the J. Smith furniture podium, <gasps> right. you know. We recognize the gentleman from Stridex. Exactly. <laughs> Go
3: In response to the Supreme Court's terrible decision giving corporations First Amendment rights. Dozens of current and former corporate executives from corporations including Delta, Playboy Enterprises, Ben & Jerry's, Seagram's, Hasbro, Delta Airlines, Men, Men's Warehouse, and Crate and Barrel sent a letter to Congress asking that it immediately pass the Fair Elections Now Act, which would publicly finance all congressional campaigns out of a special fund created by a fee levied on TV broadcasters. They said they're tired of getting fundraising calls from lawmakers, and now it's going to get worse. Well, Actually, these relatively small corporations really have nothing to worry about when it comes to getting more fundraising calls from members of Congress. Their smaller contributions will be replaced by billions from big oil, big pharma, big agriculture, big retailing, big media, and big manufacturing in China. What they really have to worry about is that these huge huge corporations will use their new supreme court granted political power to wipe them out altogether. robber baron industries can now drop billions to lobby to simply make illegal smaller companies doing this primarily the way they have in many cases over years through regulation they can they now can control the government or forcing them to sell to giant conglomerates Reagan and Clinton brought us goodbye small business. Our malls and downtowns are now almost totally national chains. Now you can say goodbye to medium-sized businesses and even big American corporations as well. Transnational, German, Japanese, and and, and Chinese corporations... Corporations based in countries that are communist dictatorships can now legally buy our politicians and use the power of the state to put their competitors out of business. Quick test. I know that you're going to think the answer to this is vampires, but it's not. Who has no fear of natural death and can exist for centuries? Whose long existence can acquire far more wealth than any individual could in their lifetime? Who derives more strength? Who derives their strength from, from the blood and flesh of real human beings? Who has no children and therefore no need for good schools? Who does not drink clean water or breathe clean air or eat wholesome food and therefore doesn't need or care about those things? Who can, who can only be killed by great effort and daring in an, in an unequal contest that humans are likely to lose? Who has the power to confuse people into acting in self-destructive manners? And a tip of the hat to Joshua Ezekiel for for uh, coming up with this. Um, no, not vampires. Corporations.
8: Reasons to vote for Barack Obama was to get decent liberal justices on the Supreme Court. And we found out again this week how crucial that task is. The conservative majority's campaign finance decision in Citizens United versus the FEC was a huge gift to corporations and a giant blow to democracy. Starting today, Justice John Paul Stevens warned in his brilliant and impassioned dissent, corporations with large war chests to deploy on electioneering may find democratically elected bodies becoming much more attuned to their interests. In conclusion, he wrote, this decision will undoubtedly cripple the ability of ordinary citizens, Congress, and the states to adopt even limited measures to protect against corporate domination of the electoral process. The majority of justices asserted astonishingly and without evidence that independent expenditures, including those made by corporations, don't give rise to corruption or even the appearance of corruption. What planet are they on? If we are to obtain even the semblance of democratic self-rule, we need a constitutional amendment overturning this decision. Fortunately, there's a grassroots effort underway to do just that. Please go to movetoamend.org and sign the petition to get this amendment rolling right now. It's the only way we can have a chance at democracy in America. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it.
9: Can you stand up and be counted?
3: There's a body in a crowd. Put your name on a petition with your signature so proud Can you raise your voice so loud as you stand with head on bowed Weather beating on your brow,
6: demanding answers here and now Cause that's how you make a difference in this fickle world of change
3: do you see the breeze blowing can you feel the winds have changed do you smell the scent of roses or does rotten air remain do you feel the time has come when we rectify what's wrong putting all
10: where it belongs
3: as we stand up and be strong
11: today the supreme court ruled five to four that uh, rules prohibiting corporations from spending Uh, Their own money in an unlimited way on campaigns and on uh, issues have been lifted. We're all in a tremendous amount of trouble. This is a disastrous decision. Now, let's be clear on what it means. They can't just give unlimited amount of money to a specific campaign. They can't say, here, Scott Brown or Martha Coakley or whoever it is, here, take all this money. Now, this applies to uh, corporations. It also applies to labor unions. But they can spend unlimited number of, uh, of dollars on campaign ads of their own making and choosing and on, uh, on issues ads. Okay? And McCain-Feingold uh, law had said, you know what, you can't run certain number of ads or certain kinds of ads uh, right before an election. That has also been overturned. So now you can run the ads all the way through the election. Now, if you thought corporate America controlled our politicians before, wait till you get a load of what happens after this. Because if they can pour an unlimited amount of money and they don't have to give in $2,300 at a time or you know, find different ways of squeezing the money in by pulling it from their employees, et cetera, which they can still do. They can pull the money in packs and give it specifically to the candidates. Uh, but letting all restrictions go on how much money they can spend on politics through ads, they're going to absolutely take over our system, completely, because money controls. If you because money is information, if you give the wrong information to the American people, uh, then uh, they're going to vote the wrong way. Okay, they're going to, over, you're going to they're going to overwhelm the system. Now, no one should be in favor of this. This was a conservative court that made this decision, but conservatives should you be happy about it? Of course not. Why do you want your politicians bought by? Not only corporate America, but multinational corporations. How does that benefit you? Now, you will hear Rush Limbaugh and Glenn Beck and Fox News tell you it's a great thing, right? But think about it. Why is it a great thing for you? I mean, if you're working at one of these corporations and you want them to have undue influence, great, right? They'll say, oh, free speech, free speech, free speech. Okay, good, and look, we have the right to free speech, but we also can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Everybody knows that there are limits to these things. If you don't put limits on this, well, they're going to be able to take over the whole system to their advantage. Now, If you're a conservative, you're still not sold on that. Think about this further uh, element of it. They don't have to be American corporations. A Saudi corporation. remember when we had that blow up about the United Arab Emirates company that was going to come over and take over our ports because Bush had cut that deal with them? Then they could pour in all sorts of money and they don't have to say, oh, it's the UAE or it's this corporation or that corporation. They just support the candidates that are in favor of that particular corporation from Saudi Arabia or Europe or Japan or China or wherever they happen to be or from America. And they, in effect, go to the politicians and say, look, here's what I'm going to do. Okay, understand the ramifications. I will either run... $10 $10 million do- dollars worth of ads, $20 million. hey, look, if they have billions do- uh, to make from the United States government, I'll run $100 million worth of ads either for you or against you. Now, what would you like? Now, you think politicians can withstand that kind of pressure? They already can't withstand the kind of pressure they put on now. So you're not going to get conservative principles. You're not going to get liberal principles. You're not going to get moderate principles. You're only going to get corporate principles because that's what's paying the bills, and that's what's paying the money, and buying the information fed to the American people. It's a disastrous idea. Can it be limited? Of course it can. It can be limited in 18 different ways. First of all, constitutionally speaking, corporations are not human beings. These are constitutional rights given to United States citizens. A, A corporation Although, of course, it's an amalgamation of people, that people run the corporation, people own the corporation, itself is not a, is not a citizen, it's not a human being. Of course, it can be treated differently. I mean, you can tell that, obviously, again, by the example of the foreign corporations. Does the corporation from Iran have just as much rights as the United States citizens? It's absurd. Of course, they don't. Now, you might say, oh, that's not realistic because America wouldn't allow that. Really? Like I said, George Bush loved the corporations from the UAE and different parts of the Middle East—the ones he had, his family had oil deals with all along. You know that the Republicans hated that deal. So would they get to run advertising in our politics? And let's say, okay, fine, they don't allow that if they don't. But right now, as it stands, the way I read the uh, the decision, it it never doesn't specify American corporation. It doesn't say okay, you have to be 51% American or 75% American or 100% American. What does it even mean to be an American corporation anymore? You could be an American corporation like IBM, but your majority shareholder could be a Saudi prince that bought you, that bought 12% of the company or 52% of the company earlier. Maybe they don't own IBM now, but can they own it tomorrow? Yeah, they buy it on the stock market. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> so if you didn't mind corporate America, I know a lot of people think, wait a minute, foreign corporations controlling our politics, that no one's in favor of, except, apparently, the right-wing Supreme Court put in place by George Bush uh, and others. So yes, corporations can have different rules than United States citizens, no question about it. And then number two, look, I don't, I I believe in freedom of speech so much that I think that their argument is not crazy. I, I, I think it has validity, and I think it's a debatable point. And I want to be able to give corporations some outlet. So if they said, "Hey, you know what? you can run issues ads, but you can't run ads on specific campaigns," uh, meaning, you know, again, Brown versus Coakley, but you could run ads saying, "Hey, you know what? Cap-and trade's a terrible idea." Uh, and you can't run ads a certain period before an election, three months, six months, etc, because we want the, our politicians to be independent. We want them to represent us, not other interests. And this decision destroys that. Now, if you can give voice to corporations without them taking over the politicians, okay, then I'm in. Let's have a reasonable discussion about how to do that. This is extreme. It's not reasonable. As the minority points out, not only did it overturn a 20-year ruling, but it overturned 107 years of precedent. Now, wait a minute. What happened? I thought the conservatives were against judicial activism. You'll return something that's been in place for over a hundred years. Well, that's judicial activism. I'm sorry I got the number wrong by the way. Is that decision was nineteen oh seven, so it's only been in place for a hundred and three years.
0: You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestofleft.com and use our Amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support.
10: Supreme Court today swept away rules that go back more than a century, rules that have constrained the way that corporate interests can influence the American political system. In 1907, Congress passed a law banning corporations from donating money directly to politicians. Over the next century, Congress passed a number of laws aimed at stopping corporate money from completely controlling America's political debate. They're laws that have been upheld multiple times by the Supreme Court. Like in 1990, when the Supreme Court ruled it was constitutional to restrict corporate political spending. Or 2003, when the Supreme Court ruled specifically that the McCain-Feingold corporate campaign finance rules were okay. Well, today in one of the most radical Supreme Court actions in years, Justice Roberts and Alito and their five-member conservative majority overthrew at least a decade of settled law and congressional action and multiple Supreme Court precedents to wipe those laws away. Corporations are free to inject unregulated billions, absolutely unlimited money into the political system now. If you are a regular person who's ever made a campaign donation before, forget about ever having to do that again. What's the point in individual people trying to influence politics with their donations if Exxon or some other company can quite literally match and therefore cancel out the combined donations of every single individual donor in the nation whenever it wants, in one check. And it can do it every year, in every campaign, in every state, in every race. Going forward, corporations will be able to use unlimited money to support or oppose candidates in federal office. This isn't CEOs, individual rich guys, using their private money. It isn't people forming political associations to do political work. It is big business being allowed to use its profits to flood the airwaves with ads against one candidate or for another. So if you're, say, a giant health insurance company who doesn't want the current system to change because you're making a killing, there's now nothing stopping you from tapping into your company's millions of dollars of profits to try to defeat a candidate who will vote against your interests. And you can do it without limit. If you have $2 billion in your company bank account and you see stopping health reform as an existential issue for your company, you can, and your shareholders probably think you should, spend all $2 billion of those dollars running ads against health reform directly, feel free. This ruling rolls back decades of protections against corporate interference and control of governance. Justice John Paul Stevens read from the bench his scathing 20-minute dissent of the court's decision today. He said, the court's ruling threatens to undermine the integrity of elected institutions across the nation. It's a rejection of the common sense of the American people, who have recognized a need to prevent corporations from undermining self-government since the founding. While American democracy is imperfect, few outside the majority of this court would have thought its flaws included a dearth of of corporate money in politics. Today's ruling affects everything going forward. If this ruling is not curtailed somehow through legislation, I personally think it is impossible to overstate the impact this will have on American politics. Every major issue that our government deals with will change, because the field has just been dramatically tilted, like 90 degrees tilted, toward corporate interests. So will health reform be the first casualty? Joining us now is Democratic Congressman Barney Frank of Massachusetts, chairman of the House Financial Services Committee. Mr. Chairman, thanks very much for coming on the show
9: tonight. Appreciate your time. You're welcome, Ray George. An important set of issues. What's your reaction, first of all, to the Supreme Court ruling? One outrage. You correctly call it radical. You know, the conservatives talk about not having judicial interference with the democratic process. They have overturned more laws, this conservative group led by Scalia. Now joined by Robertson Alito and the others, uh, than the liberals have. And in fact, uh, this is a, as you documented, a very radical repudiation of dozens of laws passed by Congress. This is judicial striking down of the law. Fortunately, there is an approach we can take. And as chairman of the Committee on Financial Services, I preside over a committee that has jurisdiction over the laws that govern corporations. Corporations are not natural beings. They only exist by law. That's why it was so odd that the court found that they had this constitutional right. But what we can do that's perfectly statutorily possible and constitutionally, I believe, unassailable, is to impose restrictions as a matter of corporate law on what corporations can do. They are given special treatment. They have liabilities that are limited. They have all kinds of privileges. We have traditionally conditioned those privileges on rules, and I talked today to a couple of my colleagues, and uh, when we get back in, on, uh, in in session, I'm going to designate uh, a couple of my colleagues on the Financial Services Committee to begin working to prepare a package of legislation that will put some restraints on this. So yes, in the current absence of—you uh, you can't do the statute the Supreme Court said, because they said it. Uh, Remember, they are not uh, uh, final because they are infallible. They are infallible because they are final, as one justice (laughs) once said. But um, we can limit what corporations do. And uh, we limit it not as a matter of campaign finance regulation, per se, but as a matter of corporate law. And uh, we will be pushing very hard, and I hope within a uh, A couple of months we will have legislation through the House that will put some restraints on this, because otherwise, as you say, uh, democracy doesn't mean anything. And by the way, if you need to have this to have free speech, as the right-wing majority of the court says, then there's no free speech anywhere else in the world, because no other country that I am aware of, no functioning democracy, allows this unlimited corporate spending and campaigns.
10: Would you expect the president to also act through some sort of executive order? Would you expect some sort of administrative action to try to work on this? The president said today, of course, he's looking to work with Congress.
9: Yes, and he's a good constitutional lawyer. Unfortunately, it's probably going to take a statute. I do not think the president can, by executive order, do this. We will be consulting with the Securities and Exchange Commission. We have the power in the public sector to regulate the behavior of corporations. And, uh, you know, we are going to be arguing, ordering them to, to rein in some of their compensation, for example. We'll have a hearing on that tomorrow over the Republicans' objection. We do other things that regulate what corporations can do, uh, but I don't think it can be done by executive order. We will be cooperating with the Obama administration in drafting the toughest possible constitutional legislation to prevent the, uh, the drowning of American democracy and corporate dollars. There's no other way to say it.
3: So if a corporation is a person, does that mean that they have to pay the same income tax rates as me? Well, no. Does that mean that if they merge with another corporation, we've legalized same-sex marriage? Um, no. Does that mean that if they kill somebody, we can give them the death penalty and dissolve the corporation? Well, it doesn't seem to be happening. Uh, does that mean that if a corporation buys another corporation, that they violated anti-slavery provi- provisions of the 13th Amendment? uh somehow i don't think so so where did this insane supreme court decision come from ralph nader's with us uh one uh, an american hero and one of mine as well uh, nader.org is website the guy that i voted for in 2000 for president of the united states ralph nader welcome to the show thank you Tom. uh, uh ralph your thoughts on citizens united versus fec
7: So much for the conservative judicial doctrine of originalism. The corporation is never mentioned once in our Constitution. And yesterday, uh, again, the Supreme Court, in a 5-4 decision led by the Republican uh, judges, uh, basically said that any corporation can throw any amount of money, millions of dollars, uh, into an independent attack on candidates, national, local, and state.
12: Right. So So if if, you get
7: a developer, for example, in your community and your state legislator, city council person, is fighting it to preserve a neighborhood, that person can be subjected to a massive direct slander by corporations. So it's a very, very radical, in the worst sense of the term, decision. And I think it's so bad it's going to provoke a backlash.
3: I hope so. You know, the uh, uh, Paul Leto uh... Is an attorney in Washington State, and he said this is the mirror image of Dred Scott. Dred Scott in in 1857 ruled that people are property, uh, specifically African American people, and in this ruling, property became people. Uh, you know, really with with a with a punctuation mark, a loud punctuation mark. Congressman Alan Grayson has submitted five pieces of legislation to try to get around this. The uh, Businesses Should bind Their Own Business Act with a 500 percent corporate excise tax on corporate contributions. The Public Company Responsibility Act, preventing companies from making uh, political contributions as long as they are traded on national exchanges. In other words, using the ability to control, we can still regulate whether or not they're publicly traded. So, so if you're going to give money to a politician, you can't be on a national exchange. You have to leave the Nasdaq or the uh, uh, New York Stock Exchange or whatever. Uh, end political kickbacks. Uh, there's a series of them. I'm wondering what your thoughts. You're a lawyer and a constitutional scholar, Ralph Nader. What your thoughts are on ways that we might. Uh, legislatively deal with this. Uh, and of course, there's move dot org a move to amend the Constitution to simply say persons uh, means human beings. Uh, what's the best way to go after this? Well,
7: the most basic way is a constitutional amendment, which, as we all know, is very difficult, but it could be a very simple one that addresses the. Um, simple objective of a democracy, and that is the only uh, people who should have rights under a democracy are people, human beings, living human beings who have children, whose sons and daughters die overseas, you know? Uh, so it, it, unlike most constitutional matters, this ought to appeal pretty much to conservatives and liberals because corporations should never have equal rights. They should be subordinated to the constitutional rights of human beings, and they should be our servants, not our masters. I mean, first of all, they have no, the big ones have very little Allegiance to our country. They ship out industries and jobs to fascist and communist regimes overseas. Uh, they abandon this country for a profit at a moment's notice. So that's one. The second one is that there could be a, a legislation in Congress requiring that any corporate contributions that are now uh, free under this uh, uh, judicial decision uh, have to be approved by a majority of the shareholders. Right. Since, uh, since the uh, five ju- justices made a big deal about describing a corporation as a mere association of citizens, okay, then let's bring it back to the shareholders. And I don't mean mutual funds. I mean individual shareholders would have to approve.
3: Human beings, because the mutual yeah, fund is just another corporation.
7: Yeah, exactly. The third approach is, is an interesting bill by uh, Senator Richard Durbin and uh, Congressman John Larson uh, that, in effect, would uh, encourage unlimited small dollar donations from individuals and provide candidates for public office with public funding in exchange for their refusing corporate contributions or any private contributions in amounts of more than $100. So So that's another way to do it. But uh, Grayson is, uh, you know, he's got his ideas. It's going to generate, along with other ideas, a lot of debate. I think this is a spectacular opportunity uh, to educate the public that corporations were never chartered by government to be our masters, they were chartered to be our servants. And any of you listening who want detail on this, you can read one of my favorite books, Unequal Protection by Tom Hartman, your radio show host, and is it ever readable?
3: God bless you, Ralph Dater. <laughs> By the way, I'm, I, I just, I've just i spent the last four months, uh, we're doing a second edition, which is going to be about a third of the book completely rewritten, including this decision, and it'll be out in May. Uh, so we've yeah. got all,
7: all now, You fun. know, the key point on unequal protection, as you pointed out in your book, Tom, is how can an artificial entity, we're not talking about corporate employees here, the, the corporation itself, Pfizer, Citigroup, Bank of America, uh, General Motors, how can a corporation have all the rights under our Constitution that human beings have, plus all the privileges and immunities that corporations have that you folks out there can never have, even if you become billionaires. And so there is no way you can have unequal protection between you and Exxon, or you and Pfizer, or or you and U.S. Steel. It's impossible. And that's why our democracy is being downgraded. That's why wages are are falling. Household incomes are falling. Poverty is increasing. are being lost to communist China and other regimes abroad. All these things flow from the crescendo of power that the, that the right-wing judges, the corporate judges, have been giving over the decades to corporations to sway, buy, rent, intimidate uh, elected officials or candidates for office.
3: Yeah. Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll just I, let me give you a preview. Uh, Ralph, we're talking with Ralph Nader, the first four sentences of, of the new edition of Unequal Protection. On September 2nd, 2009, the transnational pharmaceutical giant uh, uh, Pfizer. They pled guilty to multiple criminal criminal felonies. They had, le- they had been marketing drugs in a way that almost certainly led to the death of people and definitely led physicians to prescribe and patients to use pharmaceuticals in ways they were not intended. Because Pfizer is a corporation, a legal abstraction really, it couldn't go to jail like fraudster Bernie Madoff or killer John Dillinger. Instead, it paid a $1,200,000,000 criminal Fine to the U.S. government, the biggest in history, as well as a $1 billion civil fine, and none of its executives, decision makers, stockholders, owners, or employees saw even five minutes of the inside of a jail. Now nobody knows about this, but everybody knows that Martha Stewart in 2004 was convicted of lying to invest investigators about her sale of stock in another pharmaceutical company. Sure. I mean, it, totally different standards for a corporation and for people.
7: Yeah, I mean, what if your neighbor? Uh, poured uh, pollution into your uh, backyard, you know, all kinds of debris, stuff in the air, your kids were breathing, and uh, you could go after that neighbor and get the prosecutor to prosecute that neighbor, and if the the court's judge guilty, that neighbor goes to jail, except if that neighbor's a corporation. Right. And, of course... Uh, I don't know many people who pollute as much as a corporation or industries. So we really have to get down to this, folks. This is town meeting time. This is gathering and living rooms time. This is becoming educated about how these corporations, over the course of our history, uh, were first chartered on a tight leash by legislatures like in Massachusetts and Connecticut during the early textile industry era and then they began getting away from the legislative charter, away from limited terms. And before you know it, they are dominating our political economy and putting our, our, our democracy into the ground. And you're paying for it as a worker, taxpayer, consumer, and investor.
12: Finally, tonight, as promised, a special comment on the Supreme Court's ruling today in the case Citizens United v. Federal Election Commission. On the cold morning of Friday, March 6, 1857, a very old man who was born just eight months and 13 days after the Declaration of Independence was adopted, a man who was married to the sister of the man who wrote The Star-Spangled Banner, a man who was enlightened enough to have freed his own slaves and given pensions to the ones who had become too old to work, read aloud in a reed-thin voice from a very long handwritten document. In it, he ruled on a legal case involving a slave brought by his owner to live in a free state yet to remain, a slave slave. The slave sought his freedom and sued, and looking back over legal precedent and the Constitution and the America in which it was created, this judge ruled that no black man could ever be considered an actual citizen of the United States. They had for more than a century before been regarded as beings of an inferior order and altogether unfit to associate with the white race, either in social or political relations, and so far unfit that they had no rights which the white man was bound to respect. The case, of course, was Dred Scott. The old man was the fifth Chief Justice of the United States of America, Roger Brooke Taney. The outcome, he believed, would be to remove the burning question of abolition of slavery from the political arena for once and for all. The outcome, in fact, was the Civil War. No American ever made a single bigger misjudgment. No American ever carried the responsibility for the deaths and suffering of more Americans on his shoulders. No American was ever more quickly vilified. Within four years, Chief Justice Taney's rulings were being ignored in the South and the North. Within five, President Lincoln, at minimum, contemplated arresting him. Within seven, he died in poverty while still Chief Justice. Within eight, Congress had voted to not place a bust of him alongside those of the other former chief justices. But good news tonight, Roger B. Tawney is off the hook. Today, the Supreme Court of Chief Justice John Roberts, in a decision that might actually have more dire implications than Dred Scott v. Sanford, declared that because of the alchemy of its 19th century predecessors in deciding that corporations had all the rights of people Any restrictions on how these corporate beings spend their money on political advertising are unconstitutional. In short, the First Amendment, free speech for persons, which went into effect in 1791, applies to corporations, which were not recognized as the equivalents of persons, until 1886. In short, there are now no checks on the ability of corporations or unions or other giant aggregations of power to decide our elections. None. They can spend all the money they want. And if they can spend all the money they want, sooner rather than later, they will implant the legislators of their choice in every office, from president to head of the visiting nurse service. And if senators and congressmen and governors and mayors and councilmen and everyone in between are entirely beholden to the corporations for election and re-election to office, soon they will erase whatever checks there might still exist to just slow down the ability of corporations to decide the laws, it is almost literally true that any political science fiction nightmare you can now dream up, no matter whether you are conservative or liberal, it is now legal. Because the people who can make it legal can now be entirely bought and sold. No actual citizens required in the campaign fundraising process. And the entirely bought and sold politicians can change any laws. And any legal defense you can structure now can be undone by the politicians who will be bought and sold into office this November or two years from now. And any legal defense which honest politicians can somehow wedge up against them this November or two years from now, that can be undone by the next even larger set of politicians who will be bought and sold into office in 2014 or 2016 or 2018. Mentioning Lincoln's supposed ruminations about arresting Roger B. Tawney, he didn't say the original of this, but what the hell. Right now, you can prostitute all the politicians some of the time, and prostitute some of the politicians all the time, but you cannot prostitute all the politicians all the time. Thanks to Chief Justice Roberts, this will now change. Unless this near-mortal blow is somehow undone, within 10 years, every politician in this country will be a prostitute. And now let's contemplate what the perfectly symmetrical, money-driven world of that order might look like. Be prepared first for laws criminalizing or at least neutering unions. In today's court decision, they are the weaker of the non-human sisters unfettered by the court. So, as in ancient Rome or medieval England, they will necessarily be strangled by the stronger sibling, the corporations, so that they pose no further threat to the corporations total control of our political system. Be prepared, then, for the reduction of taxes for the wealthy and for the corporations and the elimination of the social safety nets for everybody else, because money spent on the poor means less money left for the corporations. Be prepared, then, for wars sold as the new products, which Andy Card once described them as, year after year, as if they were new Fox reality shows, because military-industrial complex corporations are still corporations. Be prepared then for the ban on same-sex marriage and on abortion and on evolution being taught and on separation of church and state. The most politically agitated group of citizens left are the evangelicals. Throw them some red meat to feed their holier-than-thou rationalizations and they won't care what else you do to this corporate nation. Be prepared then for racial and religious profiling because you've got to blame somebody for all the reductions in domestic spending and civil liberties just to make sure The agitators against the United Corporate States of America are kept unheard. Be prepared for those poor, dumb, manipulated bastards, the Tea Partiers, to have a glorious few years as the front men, as the corporations that bankroll them, slowly unroll their total control of our political system. And then be prepared to watch them be banished, maybe outlawed, when a few of the brighter ones suddenly realize that the corporations have made them merely the Judas goats of American freedom. And be prepared then for the bank reforms that President Obama has just this day vowed to enable to be rolled back by his successor, purchased by the banks, with the money President Bush gave them, his successor, presumably President Palin, because if you need a friendly face of fascism, you might as well get, well, get one that can wink, and if you need a tool of whichever large industries, buy her first. You might as well get somebody who lives up to that word tool. Be prepared for the little changes, too. If there are any small towns left to take over, Walmart can now soften them up with carpet advertising for their Walmart town council candidates brought to you by Walmart. Be prepared for the Richard Mellon scapes to drop such inefficiencies as vanity newspapers and simply buy and install their own city governments in the Pittsburghs. Be prepared for the personally wealthy men like John Kerry to become the paupers of the Senate or the ones like Mike Bloomberg not even surviving the primary against Halliburton's choice for mayor of New York City. Be prepared for the end of what you're watching now. I don't just mean me or this program or this network. I mean all the independent news organizations and the propagandists like Fox, for that matter, because Fox inflames people against the state. And after today's ruling, the corporations will only need a few more years of inflaming people before the message suddenly shifts to, everything's great. Glenn Beck and Rush Limbaugh don't even realize it. Today, John Roberts just cut their throats, too. So with critics silenced and bought off, and even the town assessor who lives next door to you elected to office with campaign funds 99.9% drawn from corporate coffers, what are you going to do about it? The internet. The internet. Ask them about the internet in China. Kiss net neutrality, goodbye. Kiss whatever right to privacy on the net you think you currently have, goodbye. And anyway, what are you going to complain about if you don't even know it happened? In the new world unveiled this morning by John Roberts, who stops Rupert Murdoch from buying the Associated Press? This decision, which in mythology would rank somewhere between the bottomless pit and the opening of Pandora's box, got next to no coverage in the right-wing media today, almost nothing in the middle and a lot less than necessary on the left. The right-wing won't even tell their constituents that they are being sold into bondage alongside the rest of us. Why should they? For them, the start of this will be wonderful. The Republicans, the conservatives, the Joe Liebermans, the Tea Partiers are in the front aisle at the political prostitution store. They are specially discounted old favorites for their corporate masters. Like the first years of irreversible climate change for the conservatives, the previously cold winter will grow delightfully warm. Only later will it be hot, then unbearable, then flames, and the conservatives will burn with the rest of us and they'll never know what happened. What are you going to do about it? Turn to free speech advocates? These were the free speech advocates. The lawyer for that humunculus who filed this suit, David Bossie. The lawyer is Floyd Abrams. Floyd Abrams, who has spent his life defending American freedoms, especially freedom of speech. Apparently, this life was spent this way in order to guarantee that when it really counted, he could help the corporations destroy free speech. His argument, translated from self-satisfied legal jargon, is that as a function of the First Amendment, you must allow for the raping and pillaging of the First Amendment by people who can buy the First Amendment. He will go down in the history books as the quizzling of freedom of speech in this country. That is, if the corporations who now buy the school boards which decide which history books get printed approve, if there are still history books. So what are you going to do about it? Russ Feingold told me today there might yet be ways to work around this, to restrict corporate governance and how corporations make and spend their money. I pointed out that any such legislation, even if it somehow sneaked past this, the last U.S. Senate not funded by a generous gift from the Chubb Group, would eventually wind up in front of a Supreme Court, and whether or not John Roberts was still at its head would be irrelevant. The next nine men and women on the Supreme Court will get there not because of their judgment nor even their politics. They will get there because they were appointed by purchased presidents and confirmed by purchased senators. This is what John Roberts did today. This is a Supreme Court-sanctioned murder of what little actual democracy is left in this democracy. It is government of the people, by the corporations, for the corporations. It is the Dark Ages, it is our Dred Scott. I would suggest a revolution, but a revolution against the corporations, the corporations that make all the guns and the bullets? Maybe it won't be this bad. Maybe the corporations, legally defined as human beings, but without the pesky, occasional human attributes of conscience and compassion, maybe when handed the only keys to the electoral machine, they will simply not redesign America in their own corporate image. But let me leave you with this final question. After today, who's going to stop them?
0: Thanks for listening everybody as promised I'm actually going to continue my commentary from the previous episode and that's going to come in just a moment after just a couple of notes. First of all bonus content for today is the Daily Show's take on the Supreme Court decision. So if you are using or want to go out and get the best of the left iPhone or iPod touch application the bonus clip from this show will be that clip from the Daily Show. Also, I want to quickly thank a couple of members. Uh, Valerie W. signed up for membership on November 4th, and Catherine P. signed up on December 12th. Huge thanks to both of them. Catherine even signed up for a full year membership in advance. So, huge thanks for doing that. Of course, members get access to the Best of Left Raw feeds, plural, where you get access to lots of great audio, video, and strictly bonus content all organized for you. So, you get just the stuff you're interested in, ignore what you're not and the members are who keep this show going I simply couldn't do it without them now if you recall in the previous episode I told a short story about how I met a middle-aged couple just at a print shop just randomly uh, while I was working and struck up a conversation with them and it turned out that they were kind of uh, to some extent uh, insider friends with the White House and had some sort of connection, so they got invited to the White House Christmas party and were photographed with President Obama, and the story kind of went from there. The main takeaway from that was that when I told them about how I had just published an episode of my show that was all about the great success of the Obama campaign and his candidacy, that the, re- the overwhelming reaction from the audience was disappointment and despair... Over the contrast between the hopes we had for Obama and what has actually happened in the last year. And this person's response to that was seemingly completely taken aback. Uh, really, all summed up, all he said was, Really? Really? That, you know, I, I didn't, you know, it just, it never occurred to him that someone might have that opinion of Obama. Now, the, the detail that I left out of this story in, in the previous show is that this couple was an African-American couple. Now, of course, I have absolutely no idea if that would have any bearing on this particular set of people's opinions about Obama. I I simply have no idea. You could never make that kind of judgment on an individual. Statistically speaking, it is possible that 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 has an impact. And so now, uh, seeing as I am a 26-year-old white guy, I thought it would be entirely appropriate for me to speak authoritatively on my opinions of race and racial politics and how it relates to the civil rights movement and the Obama election. Makes sense, right? So what I'm going to do, actually, is just do exactly what I do in real life. Whenever race comes up in any kind of discussion, I explain my position on race and racial politics by referencing, of course the cartoon South Park. And so if you're not familiar South Park is a, a mostly completely absurd cartoon. It's on Comedy Central. They make fun of lots of silly things and is, is and exists almost entirely just to, you know, be kind of outlandishly funny. But every once in a while, about 5 or 10% of the time, they become incredibly profound. And you know, you can tell every once in a while you get a little peek behind the curtain that the people working there are really genuinely quite smart, which is one of the things I I love about the show. So whenever race comes up, I bring up a particular episode of South park in which the father and kind of uh, be aware that the, the focus of the show is on these young children. They're about eight, eight years old in uh, elementary school in Colorado. And so the children are the, are the focus of the show and are generally smarter than their parents. So in this particular episode, one of the kids' parents ends up on Wheel Fortune and mistakenly makes a horrible mistake of saying the N word. Yes, the N word on national television live across the country. And he he doesn't say it maliciously at all. You know the the context of the story explains very clearly that. He doesn't want to say it, he resists saying it, but he feels pressured into, and so he says it, and everyone is completely appalled by it. So following this, he goes on the classic apology tour, reaching out to the black community, saying how sorry he is, and how much he doesn't mean it, and he's not really a racist, and it didn't come out right, and you know, so he goes and apologizes to Jesse Jackson and so forth, and all throughout this, he's being shunned by everyone for, for being a racist. He's becoming known by that one thing in his past. This one thing he said, everyone now knows him by that and is disparaging him for it. Which leads to this moment as he's given a speech in front of an entire auditorium full of African Americans.
2: And so it is my honor to announce today the Randy Marsh African American Scholarship Foundation.
11: It is my hope that this foundation will prove my commitment to the education of African-American students, and erase once and for all my identity as
2: the nigger guy. You really, you really don't know how hard it is to be constantly reminded of something lame that happened in your past. I mean, I just want to move on from what happened on Wheel of Fortune, you know? And, And when people call me nigger guy... They're bringing up a painful chapter of my history and all the negativity that went along with it. You just, you can't imagine how that feels.
0: So as I said, in this show, the parents are consistently the clueless ones. And so that was a great example of him being completely clueless to his circumstances. And meanwhile, this man's son has been paying for the sins of the father at school as the the single black student at his elementary school naturally named token has rightfully taken offense to what this, this little white kid's dad said on national television. And so the kid has been trying so hard, so desperately to apologize and make things right and show token that, you know, I really do understand and I understand how painful that is for you and how wrong it was for him to say, and I just want to make it right and so on and so on. And he gets to the point where he feels like he's done everything he possibly can now look
2: token i've done everything i can to make this right you have no reason to still be mad i have every reason to be mad you just don't get it i'm not responsible for what my dad did no but you can't just pretend it never happened either what the hell do you want from me nothing then stop being mad no
0: and so this frustration builds as he continues to try to convince token that he really does understand until he's hit with an epiphany what was his
2: point i have no idea Dude, I don't get it. I don't get it either. Wait a minute. That's it. I don't get it. Huh? Don't you see, Kyle? I don't get it! Token! I get it now. I don't get it. I've been trying to say that I understand how you feel, but I'll never understand. I'll never really get how it feels for a black person to have somebody use the n-word. I don't get it. Now you get it, Stan. Yeah, I totally don't get it. Thanks,
0: dude. Which is, of course, what I consider to be an absolutely masterful depiction of a a brilliant explanation of that concept. Of the relationship between African Americans and everyone else in this country, but, you know, whites in particular. And the frustration and the tension between them, which brings us back to the present. And I'm going to play one more clip now, which was actually taken from... Show that I've been referencing this whole time. The episode was Morning in America. It was just a couple uh posts before this one. It was a repost from just after Obama's election. It was the first show I put out after his election. And so it was reposted. I recognize that a lot of you may have missed it or skipped over it intentionally. And so I wanted to play a clip from it in case you didn't hear it.
7: I'm from Louisiana.
1: been moved to the back of the bus and told to sit behind the wood and you just don't know what this means. It's
5: okay. I, I
1: worked so hard to see a
0: day like this. And when I heard that again recently I listened to this episode all the way through before I reposted it to the podcast and when I listened to that and heard that part first of all I had tears rolling down my cheeks even though I'd heard it many times in the past that always hits me hard and and you know when i i can you can hear her crying as she's saying what she's saying and secondly i thought you are exactly right when you say that i don't know what this means cuz i don't i'm not ever going to pretend to understand what it's like to truly understand the symbolic importance of the fact that Obama was elected president. And so as for the African American couple who I met in the print shop who seemed utterly astonished that anyone who's, you know, who, who is progressive and who wants progressive things to happen in this country that anyone on this side would be disappointed in what Obama's doing. It's possible that there's so much more at play in in their minds that Obama's election is is such a transformative event that to at least some extent they're blinded to the trees for only seeing the forest the forest is so large and grand and magnificent that you can't see that some of the trees in the forest are you know dying or a little sickly and things aren't going quite all that well now for the those of us on the other end you're so acutely aware and i'm so acutely aware of those diseased trees in the forest that I don't do nearly a good enough job of stepping back and seeing the bigger picture and, and see how much better things are than they used to be. So if you're one of those people who feels like everything's just soaring and fantastic because Obama's in office and nothing could possibly be going wrong because of that, then to a tiny extent I think it's okay to, to still feel that, that great sense of history. And, and have a great appreciation of the Obama presidency in the scope of history. But on the other hand, I think we're a little bit right, probably more than a little bit right to say, you know what, it's probably about time to get your head out of the clouds and, uh, and be pushing with us on all these day-to-day issues to make Obama's presidency as good as it possibly could be. Now, on the other hand, if you're one of the people who is completely distraught and despairing over the last year, then I think you're wrong too. I say, get your eyes up off the ground a little bit, look at the blue sky outside. We're really just not doing that bad these days. So that's it for today. Support the show by telling all your friends about it, and check out bestoftheleft.com for all the different ways to support and subscribe to the show. Connect with me on Twitter and Facebook, and find the links to sources and music in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the beltway and border, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, DC, my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast delivered to you every Wednesday and every weekend. Thanks only to the members and donors to the show from right burning on
6: a shining sheet. The only maker that you Gracias. <tose>